Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. How are we doing today? Are we doing good? All right. Didn't sound all that enthusiastic, so I'm, I'm just going to... I want to take you at your word. Well, it's uh, good to be here. My name is Michael. I am the lead pastor here, and we are uh, doing a series, six weeks. This is week number two, um, and the six-week series is called Future Proof, uh, Six Ways to Future Proof Your Faith. And each week, we're going to be doing a different emphasis that is important for us in the life of our church. Since Christians are facing new challenges all the time, Um, and we'll face more challenges in the days and years to come, there's very good reason for us to future-proof our faith, for us to be prepared to walk with Jesus faithfully over the course of our lifetime. So last week, we talked about how future-proof disciples develop um, biblical and theological skill that leads them to spiritual maturity. Today, we're going to build on that. Today, we're going to talk about uh, future-proof disciples develop moral and cultural discernment. Moral and cultural discernment. So let's dig in. Let's uh, read God's word. And we're in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 11. We're just the same text that we looked at last week, but uh, just fewer verses. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. So he's describing a spiritual infant, somebody who lives on milk, and the milk is basic principles, and he's not able to go on to the more complicated, complex uh, teaching because they're infants. They're dull of hearing, and that's due to the fact that they are unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. Now, here's the phrase I want you to pay attention to. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is God's word. Here's why we're talking about this today. We live in a day of increasing moral confusion and disorder. There's a text, 1 Chronicles 12, 32, speaks of the men of Issachar, and it says about them that the men of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We need men of Issachar. We need men and women of God who have discernment in these times because of the moral confusion of our day. So imagine if you're able to step out of our current realm. If you're able to step out of our current scenario, current situation, and step into the spiritual realm and be there with God, looking on this realm with God in the spiritual realm for half an hour. Let's say you were able to do that. 
And so you're looking down and you're seeing from a heavenly perspective, from God's point of view, the state of the world as it is right now. So you're able to see people, you're able to see culture, you're able to see world events from God's point of view. How would you see things differently if you were able to step into that realm and look in on this realm? All we see is our current point of view, right? But let's say that we were able to step into God's point of view, or I mean, not God's omniscient point of view, but God, from God's eternal perspective and to see the world as it is now, how might we see things differently? That's discernment. Discernment is about seeing. It's about perceiving things. It's about seeing and perceiving things from God's perspective and with, with the, from the perspective of the holiness and righteousness of God. So discernment is, you could say it's seeing as God sees. There's a theologian, uh, his name is Karl Barth, um, around early 20th century or so. Um, he, he made this famous statement. He said, take your Bible and your newspaper and read both, but interpret your newspaper from your Bible. You don't, you don't know what a newspaper is? Right? It's not the thing on your phone. <laughs> newspaper, it's like it's, it's this daily report of world events, what's happening in the world. And of course, news writers write things from a human perspective, human point of view. But what would be heaven's newspaper? What would it say about world events on earth? That's discernment. Karl Barth was talking about discernment, about reading culture reading ourselves, reading the world through the lens of God's perspective, which is through the lens of Scripture, through, uh, which is where God's perspective is revealed to us. That's what the Old Testament prophets did. The Old Testament prophets saw things from God's point of view, and they reported it in their speech and in their writing. So here we are in the modern world. This is 2023. Here in this modern world, we can see a few things taking place. The influence of Christianity in the West, in our Western world, is decreasing. And correspondingly, the voice of God that used to be represented in our broader culture, the voice of God is decreasing. And corresponding to that, there is a moral confusion that is increasing in the world. So what we see in our society right now, there's the voice of God is diminished. We're not hearing the voice of God. As he said in the scripture here, they've become dull of hearing. And being dull of hearing, that means we're not hearing the voice of God speaking to us. We're not hearing God's perspective that is being embodied in our culture. And consequently, there is an immaturity, there is a dullness in our world. And there's no agreed upon standard of right and wrong that is reflected in our society. And so what happens is that Christians are facing increasingly complicated moral dilemmas and ethical decisions that require the voice of God, that require wisdom from God. And if we're not listening to God's wisdom, then we're going to be more confused. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen. So let's say that um, you're in advertising. And if you're in advertising, you're expected to design some ad campaign. And the ad campaign, you know, is misleading and dishonest. What do you do? How do you approach that situation as a Christian? Do you, uh, do you say, I refuse to do it and lose your job? Um, do you 
do you take your concern to your employer, your boss? What do you do? That's, a, that's, a, that's an ethical question. That's a moral question, and it takes some discernment. You would need to know, like, God, what would you have me do? What, what help me to see, God, from your perspective to know what I should do in this situation? So what should Christians do when they're faced with difficult moral decisions about how to follow Christ in the modern world? So you have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. So from God's perspective, in the modern world, how do we follow Christ in this time? We, we don't, we're not merely discerning spiritual realities that are eternal. I mean, the scripture gives us those. But we're also taking those eternal spiritual realities and we're applying them to our modern situation and say, what does the word of God say about how to live right now? Cincinnati, Ohio, or Northern Kentucky, 2023. How do I do it right now? In my circumstance, in my job, in my marriage, with my friends, in my neighborhood, what do I do now? Those are wisdom decisions. And wisdom requires discernment. To be wise, you need to see things from God's perspective. And that's what we, is, we desperately need. Hebrews, 14, or Hebrews 5, verse 14, tells us that a mature faith is a discerning faith. Solid food is for the mature. Who are the mature? Who are the mature believers he's talking about? For those, so we're talking about mature people are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. So it's not, it's not something you're just gifted with. You just happen to be discerning, and it's, it's natural to you. Some people may have a gift, but it's a training thing. It's something that you practice on a, a lot. And what are, you, what are you practicing? What you're practicing constantly, how to distinguish good from evil. That's discernment. Discernment is your ability to see from God's perspective, to look in on your current situation, to have the lens of Scripture in mind, and to make moral judgments. What is good and evil right now in my circumstance? That's discernment. And whenever Christians or churches are not discerning, what's the result? Well, they're going to be more easily deceived, but they're going to be more easily compromised in their faith. They're going to compromise doctrinally. They might compromise morally, ethically, because they're not seeing from God's perspective. And that's happening in the modern church, where we see numbers of Christians that are increasingly doing this. They're adopting false doctrines. They're adopting uh, sinful actions, and they're calling it good. So a lot of Christians are embracing worldly patterns of thought and behavior, and they're importing them into the church, and it spreads throughout the church. This is happening in the modern world. And we are influenced by the broader Christian culture because we're connected digitally, and so we're consuming content and media from Christian leaders, Christian churches, sources, organizations, ministries, where we're, we're receiving content from them. And a lot of times, these people are not very discerning. They're not seeing from God's perspective. They're not well taught in scripture. You can be a great writer and not a mature Christian. And so you're writing things that sound spiritual. They're well articulated, but they're not wise. This is where we are. So this is in our day and moment right now, we need to, we need to discern how do we live in these times? If you've got rats in your house, let's say you have rats in your house. You can kill them but they keep coming back because they found a way in, right? So the, 
the better thing you want to do is to stop them from coming in. You want, to, you want to find what's their entry point and prevent the rat infestation at the entry point. Mature and discerning Christians can help the church to recognize what the moral and doctrinal rats are, <laughs> where they're coming in, what, what is happening, and to be able to see with the lens of Scripture. They're mature, which means, as we talked about last week, they've grown in their biblical and theological skill to be able to see things from God's perspective, from a mature Christian perspective, to see what, what, what are our vulnerabilities? What are the entry points where we might be deceived? Let me make five quick observations about this text. And I'm just going to read these observations and then we'll apply them. So five quick observations. Number one, this is from the text I just read. Mature Christianity is discerning, but it's more discerning. Number two, discernment can be trained. Number three, training involves growth in biblical and theological skill. Number four, training takes lots of practice, constant practice. Number five, training results in better moral judgment. As the author says, to distinguish good from evil, better moral judgment. So well-trained discernment is not a math equation. It's, uh, it's more art than science, and that's, that's the difficulty. It's not math or engineering. It's more like a spirit-led intuition, and that's, that's the challenge is because it is, it is something that does live somewhat at an intuitive level, and that's the difficulty of articulating it. I, w- I wonder if that's the, um, the difficulty that he was getting at here when he says, I've got lots to say, but it's hard to explain, but I can't, ex- I can't get it across you because you're dull of hearing. You don't have the discernment or the maturity to receive it. I, I think that may be why, at least in part, discernment is a difficult topic to discuss. I've really, this was a, as a challenge to prepare to try to articulate something um, because there, there are a lot of it is an, an intuition. So discernment is connected to wisdom And we live according to what we believe to be true. We live according to a reality that we think is real. But we never have all the information. None of us has God's perspective. None of us sees perfectly from God's point of view. And so we're always feeling our way about. We're always moving towards what we think to be right knowing that there's, there's always information that we're not going to have. We're not going to know all the people, all the players, all the motivations, all the potential entailments. We don't see as perfectly as God sees, but we want to see better. We want to see more like God sees, which is why it's a constant practice of getting closer and closer, trying to more and more understand God's uh, perspective. But we're always acting on intuition. Here's an example. Acts chapter 15 Three different times in this one chapter, the apostles made an important decision, and the language of the book of Acts is interesting. They did what seemed good to them. It doesn't say they made the right choice. Now, we believe they did, but the way that their decision-making was described is that they did what seemed good to them, which is some indicator that there was, a, there was an intuitive element in their decision-making. They made decisions based on the information they had and the intuition of the Spirit, and that's a discernment. They had a discernment. Every Christian does this. 
Every Christian, we take action, we make decisions based on what seems good in that moment. But oftentimes, our intuitions are not actually spirit-led. Sometimes we'll have an intuition about what is right that might seem right, might feel right, but not actually be right. That's, that is an immaturity. That's, that is what a spiritual infant would do. So what seems good may not actually be good. And the reason is this. If we lack what we talked about last week, if we're lacking in biblical and theological skill, then we're not going to be very spiritually mature. This is again last week which consequently means our discernment is going to be off. Our intuitive sense of what's right and what's wrong, and even what feels right and what feels wrong, can be miscalibrated. So whenever we face a difficult moral ethical dilemma, we might choose what's wrong, but it feels like it's right. Can you see how that would happen? Where you would would you would feel, oh, this, this seems like what's right, but you don't know enough scripture. You don't, have enough, you don't have enough sense of what actually is right from God's point of view, and so you do something that feels right, and actually you're making a foolish choice. This is how professing Christians can end up affirming trendy sins that are clearly condemned in the Bible. When your spiritual intuitions are shaped by the world more than the Bible then moral evil can feel righteous. But when your spiritual intuitions are well-trained by Scripture and developed through constant practice, then you can learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. That's a well-trained intuition. That's spiritual discernment. And so with the, what I want to do with the rest of our time today, I want to, I want to attempt to do something that is hard to do. I want to try to, to, to show you the building blocks of discernment. Um, it's a training regiment for discernment, and there's four basic building blocks that I'll give you. The first building block is fear God. Fear God. I'm not going to say a whole lot about this, but I want to mention it here briefly and make sure that it's here at our foundation. I don't want to, I don't want to just assume it. But Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a lot here. The beginning of knowledge, if you want to, if you want to develop your discernment, if you want to have biblical and theological skill, where does it start? Well, it, it starts with a heart posture that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of God is a humble and reverent belief that God is holy and we are not. We are not God. Man is sinful. God alone is holy and perfect. God is a righteous judge. And the wise Christian man or woman will not take that for granted. He will not just assume that you know what's right. You're going to have this heart posture of approaching God's word, thinking, God, I don't know what's right. I need you to show me because my discernment, my intuitions are miscalibrated. And I need you to calibrate my soul, my thinking, my actions according to what you declare to be true in your word. So we don't want to overlook this. A fool will despise God's wisdom and instruction. Fear of God's the first building block. Uh, that's not yet. Next one. Number two. Keep his commandments. 
Number one is fear God. Number two is keep his commandments. Okay, so here's the, the next scripture. This is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and he combines these, these two ideas, the first two. It is? Okay. Oh, it wasn't? Okay. Is this not on the screen at all? Has it not been on there the whole time? It started. Do I need to push my button again? Let me push my button again. Maybe that'll help. Um, there it is. You thought you had me, didn't you? <laughs> I'm up here drawing and writing, and you guys are like, I don't see anything. All right, this is Ecclesiastes uh, 12, 13 and 14. It says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Now, here's the two. Fear God, we've already covered that one in a different text, and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then here's the, the expectation of God's judgment. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. Those are the inner motives of the heart. Every secret thing, whether good or evil. So you take these two ideas. So you begin building blocks of discernment. I want to start with a heart posture that says, God is God and I am not. I do not see from God's perspective. What I think is true is, I, I know what's true based on what God declares to be true, but I don't automatically trust my own intuitions and I need to be corrected and shaped by scripture. So fear God, one. Second, I keep his commandments, which means that my, my posture is to be obedient to God. I want to obey what he declares, what he tells me to do. Knowing that God is a righteous judge and everything will be brought into judgment. Everything I say, everything I do, everything I think, the secret things, the inner parts of my heart is going to be exposed, laid bare before a righteous judge and will be evaluated. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now these two are non-negotiable prerequisites for good Christian discernment. Obedience to God, this obey God, fear God and keep his commandments, what does that presuppose? It presupposes that God has spoken something, that God has revealed something. He's, he's given his commandments to us. So obedience to God presupposes a fixed moral standard that is grounded in the unchanging eternal character of God. This is uh, similar to what Hebrews 5 refers to as the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness refers to the, the moral commandments of the scriptures. So what I'm saying is to develop Christian morality, you need, or Christian discernment, you need to have a good handle on basic Christian morality. God's law, commandments and statutes. Now, some of these commandments and statutes are spelled out in black and white. So if you know the Ten Commandments, that's, that, that would be amongst the basic principles, right? The, the basic teaching that Hebrews 5 talks about. So that's basic commandments. What does God require of us? But the Ten Commandments is not all God has to say, but some of those commandments are spelled out in black and white. And those black and white commands and statutes, they reveal the heart of God. That they, they point to who is God, what is his character, by what he's revealed and what he commands, what he demands of us, that gives us uh, insight into who he is. They reveal what God loves. They reveal what God hates. You could think of it as a taste. What are, what, what are, what are God's tastes? Not, not, I don't mean that in a sense of preference. I mean that in a sense of, like, there is God, is, God is not merely a set of rules. 
God is a living being. And the rules reflect who he is. That's how he has revealed himself to us. So good discernment then is a spirit-led intuition that comes from fearing God. It comes from keeping his commandments, which presupposes that we know his heart. We know God. We know what he wants. And there's an intuition that develops whenever you combine these things. So let me give you another uh, biblical example. This is Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to the world. That's what we want to avoid. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the renewing of our mind, that's where we're keeping his commandments. We're learning God's law. We're, we're applying those in the fear of God. That by testing, this is the constant practice part. It's a trial and error. It's like I'm learning what pleases God through testing. That by testing, you may discern, here's discernment, what is the will of God. Now that's not, God, do you want me to buy this car or that car? Not that... Not like that. It's like what, the will of God in this sense means like what pleases God. What delights the heart of our Father. The will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When Paul says discern the will of God, he's not talking about obeying a particular commandment. What he's talking about is discerning and doing what pleases God. And that's the spirit-led intuition to where you're in tune, you're in sync with the heart of the Father, such that over time, testing, walking in the Spirit, you're able to discern what does please the Father. And it's a walk by faith. So whenever a a man and woman, they first start dating, how do they learn what is pleasing to the other? It's going to be by precept. It's going to be, what do you like? What kind of music do you like? What kind of food do you like? And over time, you develop an intuition about what that other person likes. It's like, you know, I, she likes these songs. I'll bet she would like this song also. And you're able to come up with a good and necessary consequence. So I know uh, by intuition now that Laura likes to eat soup in the wintertime because soup keeps you warm when it's really cold outside. Um, and so when the wintertime rolls around, we're having chili and soups and all these. It's like it's a, it's a warm food. But that's, that's something I know by intuition because I've gotten to know her. I know her tastes, what she loves, what she doesn't love. And we can develop that, a discernment with a relationship with God. We can, we can develop a spirit-led intuition, but it's not just a hunch, a stab in the dark. It is informed by constant practice, by testing, by being humbly fearful of God, and by learning his commandments and walking in them. You can develop a sense of what God loves. So Christians can become more acquainted with Scripture, and in so doing, they become more acquainted with what God loves and what God hates. So here's the thing. Most of our life is not lived in this black and white realm of, this is righteousness, this is sinful. Would that it were so. But, but we know life isn't that simple. There's a lot of things that don't fit neatly into the sin and righteousness category. There's a lot of things that it's like, well, this is good, but that's a little better. But that over there would be best of all. And there are degrees of good. And there are degrees of sinful. 
Not all things are just equally good or equally sinful. These are things that are matters of proportion. And so as we walk with God, we can grow in this discernment. We can develop the maturity to discern higher or lower degrees of goodness. You have acceptable, you have good, you have better, you have perfect. But also degrees of sinfulness. You have, well, there's sin, and then there's worse sin, and then there's sin that's even worser than that. So how do we do this? Well, this is a, let me read to you, this is Westminster Larger Catechism addresses this. Here's the question. Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous in themselves and in the sight of God? I think a lot of, a lot of modern Christians have an intuition that all sin is equal. When, when in fact that there are some transgressions that are worse. And here's the answer for this catechism question. All transgressions, <clears throat> excuse me, all transgressions of the law of God are not equally heinous, but some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. So a discerning Christian will not, will not just assume that everything is just black and white. Here's sin, here's righteousness. And they'll also recognize sin has layers of heinousness and goodness have layers of goodness and glory that are contained within those actions. So one thing I see happen a lot is a moral equivalence fallacy. Moral equivalence fallacy, it's the product of immature thinking, immature spiritual reasoning. So the moral equivalence fallacy occurs when two moral issues are erroneously considered equal and it creates a false dichotomy. And whenever we do that, whenever we fall for that, we, it, it, it disrupts our discernment. Let me give you an example. I've, I've heard this false dichotomy, this moral equivalence, and I hear it all the time, uh, but I have one example I can give you. Here's one. Christians aren't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. You heard that one? Christians aren't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. To be truly pro-life, you need to be pro-life womb to tomb. Now, that sounds, that sounds catchy, doesn't it? And you might think, ah, yeah, it seems... That seems about right, but it's not right because there's a moral equivalence that's false. But you have to have discernment to pick up on the, on the uh, moral equivalence that is erroneous. So what you have is this, this messaging that shames pro-life people and puts them on the defensive and it, it weakens their commitment to the unborn. So the moral equivalence fallacy includes these unspoken assumptions and moral judgments built in. So you have on the uh, preventing the murder of an unborn child, on the one hand, is seen as morally equivalent to providing an array of social services. Now, the life of the unborn, that, both of those have moral weight, right? They both have, there's some moral weight to them, but murder is not on the same level as good works for widows and orphans. We don't care for widows and orphans by murdering them. We care for them. But we don't say they're exactly the same thing. They're not. They're unequal. But that moral equivalence, it communicates it on the same level as though they're exactly the same thing. And what it has the tendency to do is weaken our discernment and not make good moral judgments of good, better, best. 
And those are those kind of moral judgments are the fruit of a mature Christian walk and mature Christian reasoning. It's a rhetorical sleight of hand that ends up weakening our commitment to the moral good, which is the life of the unborn. All right, third building block. Third building block is walk by faith. This, uh, this was a shorter one, walk by faith. With discernment, we're trying to see things with spiritual eyes, right? Not, rather than merely human eyes. And that's the constant practice part. With discernment, it takes time and practice. And that means that we're going to, we'll get better over time. So we're trying to see things that may not be visible. We may not, it's not as though there's a score where there's like a, a moral weight-o-meter or moral value-o-meter, and we could, we could say, okay, um, this one is worth 87 points, and this one is worth 48 points. We don't have that. But when we learn the heart of God, we can learn, you know, God, God values these things, and there's a, there is an ordering of, of our morals, of our moral principles. But we, we improve as we walk by faith over time, and we evaluate our actions in light of Scripture. So you think of it this way. Think of a, a man who goes blind. And when he, when he goes blind, initially, he's going to stumble around, right? Because he, he can't see with his eyes. So if you have somebody that's newly blind, they can still walk, but they're not able to, to, to see with his eyes to know where he's going, so he's going to stumble around. But eventually, somebody who goes blind, they learn to see with all of their other senses. See, not visibly, but they see in other ways because they're perceiving things. They have a heightened attentiveness to their other senses that gives them a greater feel for where they are. And so eventually those other senses compensate, become more finely attuned, and eventually he can learn to trust his intuitions to see what he can't actually see to be able to get around. He's learned to see with his hands and ears and nose, and that's what walking by faith is. We learn as we mature in Christ, as we grow in Christ over time, we're trying to feel our way around and we could say, you know what, that last time I did that, it didn't work out so well. And I can see in retrospect where I was in error. And, th- and then that we internalize that and we, we, uh, we incorporate that into our worldview, into our morals. And then we grow and we learn. It's like you, you start to get more finely tuned in to the heart of God. All right, here's... The last building block, no, I actually have five. So this is the fourth building block. Am I doing this right? One, two, three, four. Yeah, uh, I have five. You know, I, I, uh, didn't. <laughs> I will, I'll spare you the commentary on how, on how I was thinking through this. All right, here's the next building block is a stop believing lies. Stop believing lies. So in every age, in every culture, in every time, there are particular blind spots that are unique to that time. Some of those blind spots are willfully chosen because they're convenient. We lie to ourselves sometimes because the truth is too ugly to see or because the truth is too painful to see. And a lot of people go along with the lies because they're socially pressured to do so. Mature and discerning Christians will resist that pressure. So if you're discerning as a Christian, 
Some of you do this. If you're mature and discerning as a Christian, you know where the social pressure is coming from and what direction it's pointing you. And if you're discerning, you're also going to know that you're being pressured to move and to think and to act, to feel in a way that's contrary to what God's word says. We're being lied to so often that it's a matter of self-discipline to simply see accurately because we hear the same lies repeated over and over and over again. You know, the most easy garden variety example that is right in front of us all is how the, the transgender mentality has just exploded over the last, what's it been? Seven years, eight years, something like that. Around 2015 or so is when it really exploded around the Supreme Court, a Burgerfeld decision that legalized gay marriage is about the same time the transgender phenomena exploded. And now within seven or eight years period of time, if you think a man is a man and a woman is a woman, you will be told that you're crazy. And so nobody likes being told they're crazy. Nobody likes feeling crazy. Nobody likes paying the cost of standing up for what's true and right and saying, no, that's not true. And so what do we do? We go along because it's simpler. It's easier. We go along with the lies, knowing deep down that it's not true. We know deep down men and women are different. And we know that a man can't become a woman and vice versa. A man can't get pregnant. We know that that's just absurd. And yet you open up your iPhone and you can get an emoji of a pregnant man with a beard. And you can use that in your like, that's ridiculous. That's not real. But we're being told, this is real. You must believe it. You must go along with this. If not, you're a, you're a stuck-up bigot. And if you go along with it, that spiritually mature Christians will say, no, that's not real. Because I'm living by a reality that is eternal and that is revealed in Scripture, let alone just the natural order. And we can't just reshape reality the way we see fit. An old pastor friend of mine gave me great advice once that was so simple. He said, Michael, you need to learn to see what you see. What he meant to say, what he, what he was telling me is that he recognized in me that I, I have a tendency at times to go along with what I'm told, even though something within my gut tells me it's not right because I don't want to go against the flow. And it's like, Michael, you see that. You recognize that. You know that's there. You have to train yourself to see it because there's social pressure on you to not see it. Give you a couple of examples from uh, different times, different ages, different blind spots. Do you think that the chattel slavery, slave traders, you think they really didn't know what they were doing? They knew what they were doing. We know from our modern perspective, looking back, we say they knew what they were doing. But in that time, if you were to look back at history, you will find Christians that, are, that were defending it, that were advocating for it, saying this is a good thing. Do you think abortion providers of today really believe it's just a clump of tissue? They know better. They know better. But it's more convenient to go along with the lie. Do you think people really believe that gender is actually fluid and that men and women can become men and women and men and vice versa? Do we actually think 
deep down, do you think people actually think that's true? Some might. But the vast majority of people, I think, are going along because of social pressure. And so, as Christians, we live by truth. And there is a discernment that is, that is needed to be able to see through the social pressure and the lies of our day. And it's not just our day that's hap- that this is happening. Let me read you this quote. This is from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who is writing about Soviet Russia. So this would have been during Second World War time. He said of the, the, the deceptive environment of that day, he said this, We know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know we know they are lying. We know they know we know they are lying, but they are still lying. Let me just pause here uh, for a, um, just in the moment thought. This sort of deception is everywhere. Like, I read that quote from Solzhenitsyn, and I feel like that's, the world is becoming like that. We're being lied to all the time. It's hard to know what's true, what's real. And so that's why discernment is so important in this time especially, because there are new lies, new challenges, new ways that we are being tempted to go along with social pressure because it's easier. And what happens is Satan will exploit that to pick off Christians one by one. A lot of people abandon the faith because they're not prepared to stand against the lies that they're being told. Words can be manipulated to obscure meaning. This is common in the modern world. So one of the ways that we're lied to and that we fall for it is that if we don't want to face an unpleasant truth, we hide the truth behind pleasant-sounding words. Some examples. Adultery is now called having an affair. Lust is now called struggling with temptation. Abortion is now called reproductive rights. Pedophiles some of this may be surprising to some of you. Pedophiles are now called minor attracted persons. I would tell you to Google it, but I'd be afraid of what you'd find. But that's a thing. That's a thing. And if, it's a, if, it's a, if, if that's new to you now, it will not be new to you. Give it three, four years. You'll be hearing about it a lot because it's now being treated as a legitimate sexual orientation that needs affirmation and support and celebration and pride month. It'll happen. Right now, we're like, ooh, that's icky, that's gross, but we don't have any fixed moral standard to determine that that's wrong. Who are we to judge? We have no right to say that that's wrong because there is no God, there is no revealed scripture, there is no truth. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Who are you to judge me, you bigot? Discerning Christians can see it, they sniff it out, and they're like, no, I'm not going to follow that. I'm not going to believe that. But it takes courage to do that. And that means that it's going to be costly. It's going to be difficult. And that's why we go along with the lies. Castration or cutting off breasts is now called gender-affirming care. And you can provide gender-affirming care down the street at Children's Hospital on little kids. You might think, ah, Michael, you're fear-mongering. Well, is this not happening? Is this not real? Or is that a tactic? The word fear-mongering, is that just a tactic that is used to silence people that are discerning, that say, wait a minute, this isn't right, this isn't good. 
And so people of discernment that are mature in their faith, that don't want to fall for the lies, that want to protect people from the harm and the destruction that is caused by the lies, they're called fear mongers, conspiracy theorists, and so on. And that, the, the thing is, is that there is such a thing as fear mongering. There are such things as conspiracy theories, but these aren't those. But that's the moral equivalence again. It's taking something that has a bad association and then applying that to something that it doesn't apply to. To say, you're fear-mongering, when actually you're just simply identifying a true thing that is happening right under our noses, and we're too afraid to talk about it. Let me give you one other example of this, and that is to pay attention to how you're lying to yourself. So when I say don't believe lies, that includes don't lie to yourself. Self-deception is a thing, right? We can't remake the world we want it. We have to live in the world that is. And so we have to discern ourselves. We have to discern what we want to be true. And we have to discern what is motivating us. Scripture will tell you about yourself. Scripture is a mirror. You look into the mirror of Scripture and it reflects back to you who you are. And you have to be willing to see what's there. So if you're discerning, you've got to discern yourself. and make. I have to be honest and see what I see when I look in the mirror of God's word and what does it tell me. What do we really want? Well, we really want an easier life. We really want a reality that works to our advantage. We want a reality that is more pain-free. I'll give you an example from my own life. I've had to, one of the things that the mirror of scripture has shown me is that I can be naive because I want things I have certain things I want to be true, and I've lied to myself, thinking that my self-deception was actually a virtue. And the self-deception was, I want to believe the best in people. So it's easier to believe the best. It takes more work to discern. So if you believe the best, that means you're going to assume they would never lie to me, they would never hurt me. And if you believe that about people, it's going to be easier. You'll be able to get along better with people. And whenever somebody hurts you or lies to you, deceives you, then you can tell yourself, well, I was just believing the best. And so I can, I can just be the martyr for the cause. Whenever Jesus tells us, you want to be wise as serpents. Innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. But we can be naive. I think, I think naivete is a, is a very common thing in the modern Christian world. The Bible teaches that all are sinful and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us about the deceitfulness of sin, the effects of sin, the persistence of sin. So why would any of us automatically just believe the best as a blanket posture? And it's because, for me, I want to live in a world where people don't lie to me. Sometimes a person can talk to you and they're giving you red flags. That's, that might be... If you have red flags, that might be something. There might be something in your experience, something you've read, something that you're picking up on, that the Holy Spirit is indicating to you, pay attention to that. There might be something there. But if you have a pre-commitment to believe the best, one, you're not acting in according to what Scripture tells you about human nature. But two, you're, you're, you're trying to avoid the pain of a potential conflict. So we have to discern ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves, and that's difficult. It's difficult, it's uncomfortable, because we're having to to confront things about ourselves we don't want to confront. And we're having to pay the cost, potentially, 
of going in the opposite direction of where the world is going. Jesus said, Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. I've seen the, how I've been naive, and that was because I was willfully blind. My discernment was off, and I'd been lying to myself, saying, Nobody, nobody's going to lie to me. A discerning Christian knows that sin is real. People are going to sin, and they're going to want to keep it hidden. So we're realistic about the effects of sin in the world, and we don't try to live in fantasy land. All right, let me give you the last building block. I know I'm, I'm running long here, but this is, this is the, my favorite one. Uh, believe the gospel. Mature Christians believe. This is the reality that we live in, and that is sin and deception and all these things we've been talking about, they don't get the last word. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is our hope of the world. And we can only live and act in ways that please God through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. So the gospel is our hope that Christ died for our sins and through faith we are completely and fully forgiven. And that is the hope of anybody we talk to. The gospel is the beating heart of the Christian life. Through the gospel, we receive grace and forgiveness and eternal life. And it is through the gospel that we can grow in biblical and theological skill. And we can be trained to discern the world and discern God's heart. So if we put these building blocks together again in light of the gospel, we start with the fear of God. This is just a recap. The fear of God. We have a humble heart posture of submission and obedience to Jesus as Lord. And so for Christians who believe the gospel, the fear of God is not a fear of judgment because we believe Christ was judged and condemned in our place. For Christians, the fear of God rather is the humble and reverent desire to please our Lord because the gospel promises us that it's possible through faith in Christ. We can't obey him. We keep his commands. That's the next building block. So we can read our Bibles and we can know what Christ requires of us as disciples, knowing that doing, we do so by faith in Christ and that it is not our performance or obedience that makes us righteous, but it is the work of Jesus that makes us righteous. So we can train our hearts to love what God loves and to hate what God hates because Christ has paid the penalty of our sin and our wickedness. And we, we don't live by lies. We have the courage to see what's there and not turn a blind eye to the world around us. And we have the courage to recognize Satan is the father of lies. The world is lying to us and we trust his word. And finally, we need the faith and confidence that salvation is by God's grace, not our obedience. These points that I've shared with you, that's not just a strategy for surviving in a world that is kind of coming apart in a lot of ways. It's an application of our gospel hope. Jesus is what? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is king and the Lord. He is the hope of the world. He is the truth. He is the truth. And if we don't discern the truth, if we don't live the truth, if we don't speak the truth, who will? May we be discerning Christians in this day. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have spoken to us and that you have given us your word and your truth. You've told us how to live. You've given us your commandments to live by. Thank you, Jesus, that 
we know that you have paid the penalty for our sin and that we are counted righteous in Christ and that through faith we are redeemed and forgiven and we are given the hope of eternal life and that we do not walk or live in fear but we walk and live in a confident hope that you have overcome the world. And so help us, Lord, to have the courage to live what is true, to believe what is real, and to walk in accordance with that. Lord, I pray that you will um, help us to discern the truth. Help us to see what we see. Help us to see what's there. Help us to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that by testing, we can discern your will. What is your good, pleasing, and perfect will? We ask you, Lord, that you will help us to grow in biblical and theological skill. Help us, Lord, to fill our minds with your truth. Fill our hearts with the knowledge of God. Help us to, to learn what pleases you, to to know your heart. Lord, I pray that you will make us future-proof disciples that are faithfully walking with Jesus, every single one of us in this room, down to the last child, infant, that they will be ever maturing, ever growing towards Christ-likeness for the rest of their lives, and that you will develop in all of us a, a discernment that, that hungers after what pleases you. Teach us your ways, Lord. Help us to see. Help us to not fall into deception. Protect us. Preserve our faith. All the way to the end. And we believe and trust and pray in confidence now that you will. We ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com. 